I believe in the resurrection, right? Jesus lived and died and rose again. It's a historical fact, but so what? What does that mean? Other than there was a Jewish man named Jesus Bar Joseph who rose again 2000 years ago. I mean, that's weird and cool and definitely special. But uh, why does it actually matter? I know this seems like an absurd question to most believers because we've been taught the atonement, we've been taught Christ's death in our place for sin, and the resurrection as his victory over sin and death and the gateway to our own immortality. But what if we stopped a question to ask for ourselves, why? What does this mean? Why does it matter? Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. everyone. Let's give this a try. My friends keep telling me that I don't need to do the research and outlines and all the stuff because I know this stuff better than I think I do. I'll be honest. I am terrified of just talking. I know how my brain works and we will get about 10 different rabbit trails I'm going to pull every thread. I'm going to go this way and that way. And we are going to end somewhere completely different than where we started. So I do still have a script, but I did no Google searches, no watching of YouTube videos, no research at all. I literally just sat down and freely wrote this script. If you are interested in scripts, by the way, outlines, bibliographies, all of those sorts of things, join the Patreon at patreon.com slash brother Matthew men for just $5 to get the show notes and other script-like content. If you are serious about supporting the show and helping me pay for the website and pay the editor who makes things look like I actually know what I'm doing, then you can join at the 15 or even the $25 level. And there is always the option for custom amounts. The eventual goal when there are enough patrons and enough support is to find a mission to partner with that does like Bible translation or sends Bibles to other countries. Or here's something very important to the general good general equity, as we say, um, beyond just being like Bible stuff and faith-based. It's a very, very sad statistic. Illiteracy is at an all-time high in this country. Statistically, in men especially, 54% of Americans have a prose reading level beneath sixth grade. Now, what is prose? Well, 
let's have a words mean things moment. Oh, hey, uh, words mean things. That reminds me, if you do join the Patreon, there's a special patron-only merch available with that exact phrase. Words mean things. It's written in Scrabble tiles. Once you are a patron for three months, you're automatically sent the merch that matches your patron level. So, what is prose? Prose is the knowledge and skills needed to search, comprehend, and use continuous texts. Examples, including editorials, news stories, brochures, instruction manuals, things of that nature. So, that is to say that prose reading is the ability to scan the text and ascertain context and reference other relevant knowledge to properly interpret what one is reading. So more than half of Americans can only do this at the proficiency of someone in the fifth grade. How then can we expect people to read the Bible, let alone understand it when even the more dynamic translations are around a sixth to eighth grade reading level? So those are your uh, New Living uh, Translation and the NIV clocking in around sixth grade with the Christian Standard Bible being more of that middle school level. So I would love to find a charity or a foundation that we can give to as a community that aids in literacy. So those are the goals. And we get there through Patreon, through likes and subscriptions on the YouTube, and five-star reviews in the podcatcher of your choice. Most importantly of all is word of mouth. Share this thing on your socials. Tell your friends and family and the random girl you talk to every morning in the coffee shop when you order your daily caffeine. Oh, and your cousin. <laughs> That's in there just for TJ. If you know, you know. All right. So let's have a chat and see where this goes. To, to stay on theme, on brand, really, I guess, and just kind of go with where we've been going since I started this new endeavor. I believe in the resurrection, right? Jesus lived and died and rose again. It's a historical fact. But so what? What does that mean other than there was a Jewish man named Jesus Bar Joseph who rose again 2,000 years ago? I mean, that's weird and cool and definitely special. But uh, why does it actually matter? I know this seems like an absurd question to most believers because we've been taught the atonement. We've been taught Christ's death in our place for sin and the resurrection as his victory over sin and death and the gateway to our own immortality. But what if we stopped a question to ask for ourselves? Why? What does this mean? Why does it matter? Well, if we can believe the Gospels as eyewitness accounts, which, honestly, that's a whole different episode for another time, 
then we must admit to the fact that Jesus said he would die and rise again. And he did. So this gives veracity to the rest of Christ's claims then. If he was right about something as crazy as coming back to life. So what are all of Christ's claims? What can we learn about Jesus? Now, for today, I'm just going to list some stuff. I would love to get into Christology at some point and break down all of these points. But let's just run through a list. Jesus calls himself the Son of God in Matthew 26. The Son of Man in both Matthew 16 and Mark 14. The giver of eternal life in John 10. Jesus said just two verses after that one that he is one with the Father. He is the one who forgives sin. He is the bread of life, the good shepherd, the true vine, the great I am. That one is Jesus literally claiming he is God as I am is in reference to the Shema or the name of God. It was what God called himself when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I am what I am. Jesus is the giver is the giver of living water, the light of the world, the future judge, the Lamb of God, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, the door of salvation, the Savior, the Messiah, the healer. And probably the most foundational claim, at least as far as essential Christian doctrine, is the claim in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. That is indeed a pretty exclusive claim. So, if Jesus was accurate to say that he would rise again, can we assume then that all of his other statements are to be believed as well? I have just listed all of his claims about himself. These aren't his sermons or his parables or any of his so-called teaching material. Just his claims of identity. Without getting too deep into these, we can say that because he rose, we can believe he is the Son of God. We can believe that he is God, which really gives us Trinitarian language right from Christ himself, which dispels the idea that the Trinity is a man-made doctrine that came later, as some like to say. We also have to seriously consider his words when he says things like he is the only way to the Father. Not being a good person, also, and this hurts, not believing the right stuff. But Christ, Christ himself is the way. God made flesh, God with skin on, which is a phrase I recently encountered that I really like. What does that even mean? That Christ himself is the way. I don't really know yet. I'm in a transition right now from interacting with God and Christ as thoughts, as ideas, and trying to actually live like Jesus is a person I am doing life with. That's for you, Cody. <laughs> Encountering the incarnation, as it were, in the past has always seemed like charismatic nonsense or Eastern mysticism or some other kind of something that should be marked and avoided. But the reality is that Christ is a person, the person of Jesus. And that if he truly rose, 
then he is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father, where he reigns and rules over all creation by the power of the Spirit working in, through, and around his church. See, God lives in us. I know that seems like more Christian nonsense, but we need to understand this from a historical significance. So, ancient peoples didn't merely build idols that represented their gods. In crafting idols, they believed they were creating a dwelling place, an avatar, if you will, for their god to inhabit and indwell. They believed the spirit of their gods could actually indwell these icons, statues, and what have you. The question becomes, was this just ancient superstition or reality? There are some, and I tend in this direction myself, under the influence of Tim Mackey, John Mark Comer, and especially the late, great Michael Heiser, that believe this was real. This is why we see the statue of Dagon fall and break in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel. Dagon was bowing before God, and God was proving his superiority to the God of the Philistines. I suppose I will allow myself to get derailed here for a minute. Yes. Yes. What I am saying is that the other gods exist. But they are lesser than and subservient to Yahweh. God created the heavens and the earth, including a vast heavenly host. Now, most of us know about Satan's rebellion, but there were other Elohim that rebelled against God as well. We can learn about this in the book of Enoch and other Second Temple Jewish writings. Now, why do I believe all this? Well, the book of Jude and Second Peter both reference the book of Enoch. If it was good enough for Peter, the chief apostle, and Jude, who was Jesus' brother, then it's certainly good enough for me. If you are interested in learning more about the book of Enoch, my friends over at the Your Church Friends podcast are just starting a series on the book of Enoch. You should check them out. I love those guys. Anyway, where was I? The Garden of Eden was created to be God's dwelling place on earth. We are told that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Later, the Ark of the Covenant is built, and we are told that the Spirit descended on the mercy seat. God came and was actually present in some kind of manifestation between the wings of the cherubim on the mercy seat. That is the top of the Ark of the Covenant. The tabernacle is built, and then later Solomon's temple. And God actually lived there. Okay? The temple was God's actual dwelling place on earth. We know that his glory filled the temple. Often we think of this as figurative, but the, the Shekinah glory was an actual cloud that filled the temple. Okay? God lived in the temple. He was manifest there and actually present at that location. Now, we, we know that when the veil of the temple broke, removing the separation between the holy place and the holy of holies, that the glory was no longer present. We know this, that once Christ was crucified, the glory no longer resided in the temple. 
Why? I'll tell you why. The Holy Friggin' Spirit, that's why. We are God's temple. The Spirit lives in us. Christ, at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling by the power of the Spirit through us, his earthly body. What if? What if calling the church the body of Christ wasn't just figurative? What if, as Christ was God with skin on, we are too? Now, don't get what I'm not saying. We are not little gods or equal to Christ or any such other blasphemous thing. But the Spirit of God has been given flesh in each and every one of us. This is the idea of living the incarnation. And I think it's where the discussion of what resurrection life is has to start. Right? Last time we asked what the resurrection actually means. And we have at least started to talk about how it means that Christ can be trusted because he rose like he said. I used to hate resurrection metaphors and any kind of allegorization of the cross and all those sorts of things. But guess what? That's not what I'm doing. The Bible is clear that in Christ, whatever that means, we have a new life. There is so much language of being born again, of being made new. There is some point in our lives as we encounter the living God that we become something different, right? There is, there is a death of the old man and resurrection into a new one. Now, on this earth, on this side of the veil, there is a death of the old man and resurrection into a new one. Now, on this earth, on this side of the veil. Is there a physical resurrection and restoration at the eschaton where new life is fully revealed and actualized? Yes and amen. But too many of us wait for the end to come and we don't live a new life now. I don't know what that means. I'm new at trying to walk out these more spiritual truths. But I do know that by the power of the Spirit, these are truths that we can live right now. So many of us, too many of us, live like deists. Like God is out there somewhere, not involved in the everyday goings-on, and not present. That things are set in motion, maybe even planned, but he's just sitting back. But Christianity is not a form of deism. It's a form of theism. The Spirit is here. With us now, right freaking now. The application of the resurrection touches almost every aspect of Christian theology the atonement, justification, sanctification, transformation, theosis, baptism. Seriously, what does it mean to be a new creation? That is something we can never fully fathom until the end. But don't ever, don't ever forget the already in the already not yet.
I plan to get a lot more detailed with this in the future. But it's just not been in the cards, as they say, for me to sit down and do a word study on resurrection or do scripture mapping or any of those sorts of things and get into the academic side of applying the resurrection. I don't know that I have a lot more to say right now, as this was just meant to be a stream of consciousness, really. I was dealing with major existential issues when I started working on these ideas a couple days ago, and I was seriously worried that I would get on here and just spread fear and doubt and questioning. But actually, looking at the claims of Christ and how we can trust him has been therapeutic. Just a reminder before I get off here. We talked about the Patreon earlier. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. All at at Bromatman. Bye now.